Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. And we are here after the first weekend of Autumn International Nation. Autumn Nations Cup. There we go, Autumn Nations Cup. Uh, and uh, I'm in the rugby dungeon with JB. How are you doing, JB? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you very much. And uh, hello, Phil, who is in the... Um, oh, sorry, you? Egg Chasers TMO shipping container. Hello, hello, Tim. Hello, JB. Hello, Philip. Do you enjoy the rugby this weekend, gents? Yes and no. I mean, large parts of it, no. But you have to have large parts of no to have the small parts of yes. Oh, agreed. It's the yin and the yang, isn't it? If you if it was all amazing, it wouldn't be, be amazing. It'd be like eating sugar all day long. Exactly. Be like <laughs> catching fish with drift nets. Here, here's so imagine it's quite enjoyable, actually. <laughs> yeah, on a one-off, not every day. Here's a question to kick off. Whose face did you enjoy more staring down the hacker Owen Farrell's in the semi-final of the 2019 Rugby World Cup or Juan Matera uh, <laughs> yesterday Ooh. against the All Blacks for Argentina because his face watching the just the big grin on his face watching the hacker with the psycho eyes was brilliant so for me uh, this game was no different to any other which is when the hacker comes on that is my cue to go make a coffee so I didn't see it <laughs> <laughs> did you see um, it Phil? I, I did see it I saw Matera and I saw Matera time and time again throughout that game just be an absolute dominator, an um, animal, I, a leader, a legend. He was just incredible in yeah, that game. Yeah, it's something I was... So, what so, is, so, what sorry, is going on? I'm getting my phone ready to play a little clip of Matera. But play, no. play, play the clip of Matera now so we, so right. we don't have to contend with your um, phone. Pablo, you're the captain. What we need to see is some leadership from you, OK? What we don't need you to do is come and push players after the whistle, OK? I, I can't see a guy kicking the face of one of my men. Okay. There's no respect. Yeah. I'm brave for my country. I understand That's that, no but let us deal with it. We don't yeah. need you as the captain coming okay. in. Let's show some leadership, okay? Show, I, I, I hate the fact that Agnes Gardner at the end goes, show some leadership, okay? Because <laughs> he just bloody did by going, I believe I'm a good dude. Show me respect. Yeah, he's yeah. standing up to the All Blacks. He's throwing around some All Blacks. Throw, show some leadership. Like what? <laughs> like, like a deferential head nod. Matera showed so much leadership in that that game. He he was unbelievable, and I, I was lucky enough to watch the um, the full press conference um, just before. Found some time to watch it um, with him and Mario Ledesma, and it was is brilliant. Yeah. The, the two of them are 
you can tell how emotional they are. Mm. You can tell how much this meant to them, not just because it's the first time that Argentina have ever beaten the All Blacks, ever, um, but also because of the journey that they've been through. I mean, it's, it's more than 400 days since they played their last game of rugby. Bloody they have been spread out across the world. They've been in serious lockdown, unable to train outdoors, unable to train as a group. Even when they got to Australia, they were quarantined for two weeks. The, to do it... To do it, to beat the All Blacks under any circumstances is incredible. To beat them under the circumstances that Argentina have just been through is, is unbelievable. Yeah. It's one of the all-time great rugby performances. Agreed. And the breakup of the Jaguares as well, in amongst that. A lot of instability. Mm. Yeah, it just shows. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the Welsh model, isn't it? Make everyone who contributes to the team very unhappy outside of the team. And then before you know it, that, this is their sole reason reason of being. Um, <laughs> they certainly had a, yeah, you certainly could tell they had a sense of purpose and and uh, togetherness. But yeah, the, the passion. I, I, and there's something we've talked about, we love seeing France playing a bit loose and offloading loads because it just feels very French. And actually, that's why, I mean, we'll get onto the England game in a bit. Wasn't wasn't the most enjoyable game, but I quite like seeing an England pack pulverize anyone because yeah. it just feels so English, doesn't it? And it's seeing an Argentinian team smashing everything that moves and practically being in tears whilst they're singing the anthem, running out on the pitch. Love it. Yeah, I think there's going to be a theme in this podcast. It's going to be about great players. Um, we've got some, got some thoughts about great players in relation to Wales later. But a few weeks ago, I can't remember which player it was I was talking about. But I was talking about statement games, like players with huge reputations that don't have that one particular game which will define a career. And I'm pretty sure that was Matera's game. He had a handful of moments. I mean, for me, his greatest moment was not talking to the ref as good as that was. It wasn't even the eyes, which is great. He made a turnover yeah, in the first so, half. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he just well, rose from a pile of all black bodies with a ball. Like, so no big deal. There was one that he made in the 73rd minute. Which which effectively won the game. Yes, that was the uh, eyes one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in the All Blacks were in Argentina's twenty-two. They'd had possession for a number of phases. There's uh, less than ten minutes left on the clock. Argentina twelve points up, and those are the time when if New Zealand score, then they go on to win the game. And it, that turnover was huge, wasn't it? It was. There is one element I would like to. <sighs> Rugby fans can quite often be guilty of hyperbole in the wake of one result. So when Australia should have won that draw to win the first game, it's like, oh, the Aussies are back. They're back. They can win. They can, they're resurgent. Then they got absolutely panned the next week. All of a sudden, people are going, oh, Argentina, one of the best improved teams. Matero, um, he's outstanding. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the guy. Um, out, best back row in the world. Statements like that are, are suddenly being made. Just, whoa. Well, there. We're, we're, just remember, they're facing a New Zealand team, and yes, the first win they've ever had. But they're playing New Zealand as far out from a World Cup as you can play New Zealand. Yeah, but at a certain level, I mean, they're never going to be. Well, not never. At, currently, they're not looking to win a World Cup. They're looking to be competitive in the Tri Nations or whatever this thing is that they're, that they're playing. Um, and you've got to go out and, and win games. And they went out and beat an All Blacks team, which made a lot of changes following the week before when they got beat by Australia. And they weren't, you know, the All Blacks weren't there to mess about. And they got panned. Let's be honest about this. They got absolutely panned. And what I love about this victory more than anything is 
it just shows how many different ways there are to win a rugby game. And a lot of people, particularly the people who are not so comfortable with what rugby really is, which is a game of bullying other men, um, will not be particularly comfortable with this because that's exactly what Argentina did. From from the very start, they started bullying uh, the All Blacks. And you could see it with their reaction, all the silly little face taps and all the silly pushing and shoving. You know, it's a very un-All Blacks performance, both in the way they handled themselves. I mean, there was one bit when uh, Sam Kane gets told off by Angus Gardner. And I just thought his reaction is ridiculous. His reaction was, it wasn't a respectful yes or sort it. It was like disdain. That I think that's probably because he was like, sorry, Angus, are you telling me something or are you asking me a question? <laughs> Mate, you need yeah. to control your behaviour? <laughs> Mate? I, I, I do need to control it. Um, yeah, yeah. And they just bullied them. Uh, Dane Cole's slapping pe- pe- people in the face. Stupid. Uh, right at the start. I, mean, I just thought it was a completely alpha, manly performance when you just saw one team beat up another team. And weirdly, the All Blacks had no answer to it whatsoever. They stuck with the game plan that wasn't working. They they varied it a little bit towards the second half with a bit more kicking. They brought on some subs who came on and added a, a bit more energy, but the details w- weren't there. I mean, how often do you see the the All Blacks passing the ball into touch, throwing it over people's heads? It's, it's, it's yeah. bizarre. But how much of that was driven by yeah. the... Um the defensive alignment the the cohesion and fluidity mm. of that um argentine team because their their defense was it was unbelievably physical as you said jay it was also incredibly well organized and it, it, it was it was only really in the uh whenever it was the 79th minute when Caleb Clark goes over for that try in the corner that was one of the few times yeah. that new zealand actually found um managed to work around the defence and create an overlap. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, Matt, because I look at that confrontation just outside of the ruck where you know most of the ball carrying was, particularly from New Zealand, and they were carrying in you know, that sort of pod of three when you hit the um, hit the middle man and there's a guy on the side, and they had no variation to it, and they just kept on feeding the beast, and I don't know if they were doing that because they wanted to win the collision in order to do something else after, subsequent to that, or if they just run out of ideas. But it just didn't seem smart because if there's one thing that the Argentine pack can do or the Argentine players can do, it's going to be beat you up if you run straight. And they can't continue to run straight. And the scrimmaging, let's not forget the scrimmaging, that was absolutely quality. Yeah, it was great to watch. The, the one thing I... The feature of the, the Argentinian play that I noticed was just... Well, firstly, they hardly had any handling errors and hardly any missed tackles through the whole game. They were so... Accurate, but that accuracy was that even translated into their rucking. Where there was one, I think, towards the end of the first half, I watched the game again today, and they had about 20 phases. And only two or three of those 20 phases was there more than one Argentinian clearing the ball out. Is that right? They're just technically, timing, body position, they, they, Managed to keep the ball with so little resor- resor- resources. With so little, they were resourcing re- the ruck. Without, the ruck. without resourcing the ruck with more than <laughs> they were so efficient. Yeah, and don't forget San- Sanchez. I mean, Sanchez had a game for the ages too. Yeah, is, is he? Yeah. Are his, are his um, tattoos new? I don't remember him having. I don't really remember anything that he's done in the past. To be honest, I've, I've got to say that 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 Argentinian stash is so classic and could be. You could. I don't like the collar. Oh, I, lo- I love it. Other than the, the shape of the players, you could imagine seeing that in like sort of grainy footage from genuine uh, question. seventy years ago or something. Genuine question: <laughs> Why do shirts have collars? Tradition. Uh, 
Yeah, just aesthetics. Yeah, I'm just. I'm, I mean, I'm looking around all the shirts in the rugby and dungeon, that... and hardly any of the, any of them do anymore. No, it's quite I mean, I don't see why you would. I mean, you're not going to wear a tie with it, and like, maybe, maybe uh, Rassing might. Rassing might. Rassing and Toulouse. Yeah, but I don't see the point in having a having a collar. In fact, I don't even see thinking about. It, I don't even see the point in having a collar on a shirt. If you could to redesign a shirt from scratch, would you put a collar on there? If it was uh, from scratch, but if there was no tie involved, no. If you never saw a shirt before in your life and you were sold... No. No. It, so, what, so why do we have them? Ties. Ties. Yeah, which again, make no sense either. Not I'm saying that we shouldn't wear them, I'm just saying that they make, <laughs> they make no sense. Uh, yeah, so that's that detour done. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of sartorial chat. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 that stash is just... Delightful, isn't incredible. it? Incredible. It's just beautiful. It's going to be interesting to see if they can keep this up. Who do they have? Is it Australia next week that they get the pleasure of playing? Yeah, I don't know. And which yes. which of the games between Australia and New Zealand count in the Tri Nations? That's a, a superb question. So the the, the latter two. So okay. the first two. So the New Zealand and Australia have played four times. The first two were just warm up games. They have now completed their first and second game against each other, um, and. This means that New Zealand, while they do currently top the table, they've played three, won one, lost two. Yeah. So actually the Tri-Nations is wide open this really year. Is. What were the questions we got sent in, Jay? Yeah, so I've got two questions. Let me just quickly bring them up on the Twitter machine. Um, we are at Rugby Podcast on Twitter. He's exactly. At, he's at Jay Bidmore, I'm at Cocker. Uh, I will find it... Momentarily, momentarily. In fact, whilst I uh, f- try and find these questions, why doesn't Tim fill this uh, em- th- uh, this empty space with nonsense? Um, <laughs> just, uh, I just love. Well, I know one of the questions is kind of where I was going to go with what I was saying, which is why I said, "What are the questions?" So well, I know, ask the question, then I'll I'll, I'll give the well, person credit for it later. The reason this is a Tri Nations competition is because South Africa didn't want any part of it. Razi Erasmus is justification for that was that they wouldn't be ready to play international rugby. They need 400 minutes of rugby. Oh, I'm not going to do the accent. They need 400 <laughs> minutes of rugby before they're ready. Argentina, in their first game, I mean, th- these guys have not played super rugby. They've had, they've had very little rugby, a lot of them. They've been, as you say, training in an isolated fashion and then building that up. And boom, straight out the gate against the New Zealand team that have had four matches in quick succession. And they turn them over handily. So does that kind of, you know, is is that a bit of slap around the face with a wet fish for Razzie Erasmus? I think well, it might we, be. There, there's two things to this because we, we as soon as Razzie said that, we had one eye on that kind of perceived wisdom of the, the games, but also another eye on the, the um, negotiation strategy for, um, South African rugby getting a better TV deal either through Sanzar and the, the rugby championship or potentially looking to the Northern Hemisphere for an introduction to the Six Nations or some some other strategy. And I, I still think that um, that second point is true. Um, it, Razi, part of the South African rugby strategy was about getting a better TV deal, which I understand they have got with the uh, revised rugby championship going forward. But it does bring into question the perceived wisdom of how how much game time you need um, to be match fit. And I know I I understand that 20 years ago, 40 years ago, and all the rest of it, that 
um, when strength and conditioning was nowhere near what it was. Um, we didn't understand the science of training that um, there was no, there was genuinely nothing like um, playing a rugby game in those days. These days, I, I would suspect it um, because you can get um, better conditioning, better strength work in a more controlled environment with uh, less likelihood of um, receiving injuries. Actually, you could arguably be fitter and stronger and faster after a period of, of no games at all mm. than you would be after a period of, well, the, the New Zealand players have played eight weeks of yeah. Super, Super Rugby Aotearoa and then four weeks of international rugby. They've played a lot of rugby. As long as, long as you modify the training to replicate that down up the wrestle type movements and all the rest of it, then yeah, I'll I, I take your point. So I, I'm going to disagree here. I didn't think Phil was going to go that way. I thought you were going to say something along the lines of, um, you know, modern sports science tells us that we need X amount of um, hours in the gym or hours on the pitch or whatnot in order to be competitive. Because that's certainly what Razzie was saying. Now, I'm going yeah. to take him at his word. Yeah, like, I was going to say, take him at his word. I'd probably have more... I think I have more respect for people in general who say it like it is. So if he'd said, look, you, you can see what's going on in the world and we need to be open to possibilities to... If there's a massive pile of gold somewhere else, we need to be able to go for it for the future of our game. If he'd said that, I would have had total respect and understanding for that. That probably would have been the truth, but I also understand why he can't say that. Yeah, but I'm just going to go with... I'm going to go work on the premise that he, he was genuine and that he really thought his team needed 400 minutes of rugby, of any rugby whatsoever, in order to, um, in order to play. I, I do think people get a little bit caught up in how much preparation that you need. And this sort of flies in the face of everything. But that said, if you gave the Argentine the Argentine um, players the option of whether they wanted a few warm-up games before you know, running into the teeth of the All Blacks, they'd probably bite your hand off. So... Although it's not ideal, well, it worked. It's not ideal preparation. I doubt that they'd want to repeat it, no matter how successful it is. Mm-hmm. So they, they did have a couple of warm-up games, as in they played like a... They played the Aussie Aus- A team, didn't they? Yeah, or it was like an Aussie select team, and, and they might have had an inter-squad game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just... I, it, it takes me back a few years to like playing three or four pre-season games and I always used to hate playing three or four preseason games. Rubbish, um, aren't part, Partly because my uh, injury rate was about um, one in every five games. So if I've, I've, if I've lost four of my five games <laughs> uh, to preseason, it kind of makes my, my season pretty short. Dicing with death. But, it, but yeah, I, I just, I do wonder um, about the, the long-term perceived wisdom of um, you need a certain amount of games, particularly given how good... Um, strength and conditioning coaches are and how much they understand the game mm. these days. Yeah, what was the other question? Who was that who asked that question, JB? Dan Con- Connolly on Twitter. Thank, Thank you, Dan. Know. And what was the other question? Uh, we've already answered it. Is it a competitive Tri-Nations? Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, very <laughs> um, much is. All right, here, here's another question. The answer question. is yes. Uh, piv- pivoting away. Who's, who, Pivacking. <laughs> pivacking <laughs> away. Who is under more pressure, do you think, today? And who will have had... Who will have, who will have woken up Feeling worse, Fozzie or Pivak? Um, because they're comparable. This is comparable. Pivak, a hundred percent Pivak. And the reason I say that is, I think you can look at the uh, the New Zealand game and say, yeah, look, you, you lost it here because there's a loose pass there, a loose pass here, bad decision there, bad decision. Um, you know, in other areas, you look at the Welsh game, you think this is rubbish. 
this is complete and utter rubbish. Um, Ted on the buildings, burn the books, salt the earth. You know, it, it's over. You know, they're two very, very different situations. I honestly think Foster is you know, a game away from re-establishing. I mean, uh, that I honestly, as good as that win was for Argentina, I still think that on a different day, the All Blacks win it, and actually on another day they win it. Hand- they they win it handily, and when they see each other again, I it would still have the All Blacks a favourite. I, I would, I would just put the context here. He's just lost two in a row. Mm. He's just lost mm. two in a row, as you said, and they are. They they. <laughs> For Steve Hansen's reign, they won a World Cup and were the number one ranked team for years and years and years. And he's just taken over. And so I actually think when you look at the, the, the players that Ian Foster has and the players that Wayne Pivak has, I think it would have been, I think Ian Foster would have felt worse. I, I mean, neither of them are going to feel great today, let's be honest. But, I think he might feel worse. Well, I think, and, and I but th- I don't think he's in the more pressure. Hmm. Oh, I disagree with that. No. It's New Zealand. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's, it's Wales. You know, Wales is awful. <laughs> the, the New Zealand um, public and press do jump on um, both players and coaches. I mean, if, yeah. if individual performances or even sections of individual performances do not live up to um, expectations. Yeah, they are far more knowledgeable than New Zealand. I mean, I say far more knowledgeable. I don't really know because I don't read the New Zealand press. I have no no exposure to them. I do know that the Welsh press are utter garbage and manned by incredibly low-grade individuals. You need to look at the people who work at Wales Online to understand the the lack of rugby knowledge and IQ which goes around there. Um, and because of that lack of understanding, I do think that, it, that it's Pivak because they have such a deluded view of what this Welsh team can achieve that they will expect well, them to be but that's Wales, world class. That's Wales Online. I think your average Wales fan, who and this is what's important. Again, you, you don't just go, it's like Twitter's not real life. There are some people inside a Twitter bubble that that, that think people think the way that Twitter thinks, and it doesn't. <laughs> so so I would say your average Wales fan appreciates... How many average uh, Wales fan, uh, Welsh fans do, do, do you know? Because you know, I, they're I, all... I, I, no, I, well, I think I... Yeah, I think I know enough, and I think I have a sense of Wales fans from, 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 all, up, from all of my years. No, 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 that they are fanatical, and that's the great thing about them. They absolutely love their rugby. It's, it's the thing that Wales and New Zealand have in common, small nations who who overperform because of a fanaticism for what is elsewhere mm. a, a minority sport. But I think your average Welsh fan understands they've actually had it unusually good the last few years. And at some point, there was going to have to be a writing of the ship and a reckoning, and there's going to yeah. be some choppy waters. Whereas New Zealand, you just expected to be. I don't think you're right there, Tim. I do not think they understand for a second, for a single second, really, that this team is not as good as they think. Because they look at the team and go, oh, well, it's fine. You're Wales. You know, Wales are always going to be good. And they completely forget the fact that the Ospreys and the Scarlets and you know, every, every Welsh uh, prov- province, uh, region. Have been garbage for absolutely years. They've been all right in the pro in the in the Pro 14 and previous to that the Pro 12. Scarlets even won it, which is why you've got Wayne Pivot coaching Wales. I, I said I said it last year, last year, last week. Name the Welsh player that left Wales and did really really well. Name the last uh, successful Welsh team which went to Europe. You have got the Scarlets who beat beat La Rochelle, and before that you're gonna have to go all the way back to. Probably Gavin Henson in the Ospreys losing out to Leicester Tigers. Well, in, e- in equally, a equally, ne- or a quarter. 
prior to Warren Gatlin, name the outstanding Wales rugby coach. I don't... I, Graham Henry? Steve wasn't he terrible at Wasn't he terrible at Wales? The Great Redeemer? Uh, well, it ended badly, but the, it all ends... I mean, except for Warren Gatlin, it all ends badly for, uh, of, of Wales. Um, you know, Mike, Mike Rudder got a Six Nations. I remember that Six Nations yeah, Grand yeah. Slam being one of yeah. the greatest rugby weeks, rugby six weeks of my life. I guess my, I guess my point being, I think there will be enough Wales fans, unless you are... If you're maybe 25 years of age and you really got into rugby in your teens, you might your world might be tumbling down. But most <laughs> Wales fans over 30, let's say, and certainly in their 40s and 50s, will just roll with the punches on this. They'll go, OK. No, they won't. They no, absolutely no, no. won't. No, no, they won't roll with the punches, but they'll understand that they've been here before and we'll be here again. And actually, in a year's time, it might be very different. The problem is the Welsh fans don't understand how the sausage is... It, um, uh, is made and when you look behind the scenes of what goes on in Welsh rugby it's absolutely gruesome and that is the problem Wales have been very 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 lucky that they had a guy like Gatlin steering the ship nice, nice and steady papering over the cracks of what is an absolutely abysmal system snake pit absolute snake pit I'm Welsh and we do not cover Welsh rugby for this exact reason it's dreadful um and now the Welsh team eventually will suffer. Gatland held this thing together for years and years and years. And Wayne Pivak, uh, in the defence of him, I think he's a good coach. I think he is uh, up to the task. He's not up to the task of replacing Gatland. But he'll get out of this Welsh team exactly what the Welsh team has to offer. The f- problem is, it's not very much. So, to, to go back to your question, Tim, I... I, I I do think that um, Pivak is under more pressure. Um, I think I think they're both under quite a lot of pressure, but I think Pivak's under more pressure. And um, there's um, there's easier outs. I expect that that Fozzie will um, in in his next couple of games get a couple of good wins, whereas Pivak um, he should beat Georgia. He's then got to face England, which. I think they will really struggle to do to yep. to win, and then you could see um, him play in um, Scotland or Fiji, um, which could be a difficult game. I it might, agree. might not be much fun for um, for Wales if that happens. Let me float this uh, thoughts to you both, and I'd like to know your theory. So I mentioned great players uh, earlier on, and. This weekend, the Welsh team that went out had a lot of players in there who are great Welsh players. And I do mean that, great Welsh players. I know you said that they're all rubbish, blah, 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 blah. Right, but when I say great Welsh players, Lions and, and, and the like. Yeah, quite a few Lions, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of caps. An awful lot of caps. George North came on for his 100th cap. So you got a lot of experience there. And I just wonder if the reliance on these great players, these, um, these absolute titans of their nation... Is actually a little bit of a, a downside, and it's not because they have declined a lot. It's because all the players around them expect them to do something, expect them to pull it out of the bag. And the reality is, they're no they're no better than the player that might actually replace them. They're playing off their repu- off the reputation now. And I, I seem to remember this or something similar to this happening when South Africa played, not this World Cup, but the World Cup before, and they had the most experienced squad of all time or something, and it turned out they were absolutely rubbish. 
Um, and it's not because the players have had rubbish careers, just they've been there too long. So we look at uh, Italy now. I mean, Italy uh, have relied on the powers of Sergio Parise for God knows how long. But when I say relied on it, do we actually mean the players have stood around watching Sergio try to win games and he's just not been up to it because no one, you know, no one is that good? I wonder if Wales, one of the best options for Pivot is not to pick all the best players, but say, well, you know, look, if we're going to... Uh, have a real stab at this long term. You've all got to go, and we've all got to uh, got to get some get get the kids in. Get yeah. the kids in. Maybe that's <laughs> what they need to do. I don't agree with that. I think the difference between Pivax Wales and Gatland's Wales fundamentally is that Gatland has a very very simple game plan, which in international rugby, when you have limited amount of time with your squad, mm. uh, made Wales more competitive than they should have been. Yeah, it, yeah. He he did have a lot of. Excellent players who were in the prime of their career. I agree. I totally agree with that. When when your captain is Alan Wynne Jones, aged thirty one, thirty two, just you know tearing mm. up trees, it is slightly different. And um, I would just wonder. But get- but no. But what I would say is that Pivac's system. He's clearly wants to do what he did at Scarlets, which yep. is much more nuanced, much more difficult to act to execute when it when it clicks. As with, say, Japan, it can be devastating, but it's very, very hard to achieve. Yeah, it is hard. Um, I wonder if all these players that he's got now are Gatlin's men, aren't they? They're Gatlin's Lions, actually. They're not just Gatlin's Welsh team, they're Gatlin's Lions. I wonder if he needs his own men, like the, his own lieutenants that he can lean on, mm. uh, you know, who are not saying, oh, well, you know, under the old boss, we did it this way. You know, the, these are my guys now. And, and can, you name, can you name an example of one? No, but I mean, could you... Well, that, that... That was the question I was going to ask Jay because, like, I can kind of under, understand your principle of maybe some of these guys are a bit long in the tooth, but who who would you get rid of and who would you replace them with? I've got no idea. I genuinely have no idea. I know it's not a, a great. I don't know enough about the regions or Welsh rugby. I assume there's someone in there. That Yo, they... Yoan Lloyd, <laughs> for example. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But he's not even getting picked. I tell you what, the weird thing is. Where are the Scarlets lads that played under Pivac? Why are they? Why are they not putting up their hands and saying, "Look, this is how we play this system"? I mean, they seem to be completely anonymous from from all this. I didn't even notice Jonathan Davis playing. But he he had them every day for years. Yeah, but Wales are basically picked from an area of fifty, of 50 square miles. Yeah, but he doesn't have them they've every got, day. They've got welfare policies. Most of them have played under him. I mean, it's far harder for Eddie Jones to construct his squad than it is for Wayne for Wayne Pivac. Well, no, but Wayne Pivac would have a. At Scarlets or any club, he would have uh, an A side, a Colts side, all playing the same system mm. with a whole coaching top to bottom that's feeding the system he wants. Yeah, there is a real value, isn't there, of just having a system which you can plug people into when you need them to be plugged into. Which Gatlin, Gatlin's was, and this is why it worked for the Lions as well, because it was so simple that even players from lots of different countries and clubs who play all sorts of different rugby can plug into that system because <laughs> uh, it's. Yeah. Work, work hard, and smash people. And it's flexible too. Like Gatland would get players who, you know, weren't quite what he was looking for, but he'd plug them in and say, "Well, okay, you can't quite do that, but you can do this. Do do this over and over again." Uh, you know, some of the players that you think of really as really great Welsh players, like Toby Falatel was not good. Um, Jonathan Davis was not good. George North again was not good. I mean, it just the list goes on and on. The only one that showed some real fire, I thought, I thought, was Liam Williams when he lost his te- when he lost lost his temper a bit. Other than that, I thought everyone looked pretty passive. 
How, how did anyone? Because I think you're right. The, as in one of the few standout positives um, from Wales's performance was Liam Williams' um, like aggression and anger. But like as, as a backline that includes Josh Adams, Liam Williams, Jonathan Davis, yeah, uh, and Gary, Aaron Gareth Davis, and George North coming off the bench, like they were all almost totally anonymous th- entirely throughout the game. And I think Owen Watkins and, a cracking player. Well, a good player. Yeah, and, yeah and, good good player. And I suppose potentially a lot of that should be that uh, should be a compliment to Andy Farrell, who now has bedded in a system in Ireland, which is starting, it feels like, to gain a little bit of momentum. Yeah, very unfair, yeah. isn't it, to spend all of our conversation on this game about Wales without actually acknowledging that they did play somebody else and they were good. Yeah, and but Andy Farrell yeah. had, had some little rocky moments in the early days, but <laughs> it feels like that, that was an Andy Farrell team playing there. Yeah. Do you know what? I loved, I loved the Jameson Gibson Park performance. I thought he was outstanding. Grew up dreaming of pulling on that green jersey. Didn't he just? <laughs> didn't he just? Oh, it, it, I, I've got, just just because of my boy John Cooney, it, it, it does upset me a little bit to yeah. see um, naturalised Irishman, Jameson Gibson Park, doing that when I still think that Cooney should be there and should be getting that chance. Yeah, but I tell you what, I'm not, he's a fairly unique, um, well, I don't know if he's unique. I I guess he, he offers something different. I love the way he would be picking up the ball and then, testing around the fringes I thought he really added an extra dimension to how Ireland challenged the Welsh line and also what what is this witchcraft of moving the Sexton loop around to the James, Jameson Gibson Park loop around I mean that's <laughs> genius they never they never saw, saw, no they never saw, saw that, that one coming, coming. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> what happens if he loops around the Sexton does the world collapse <laughs> those two could go into an infinite loop the infinite loop the yes I was going to mention I was going to mention John Cooney because um, I don't begrudge Jameson Gibson Park and I Much. would do I, and I would do the same if I was Andy Farrell. Uh, so fair enough, the rules are the rules. I just hate the rules, and John Cooney is a perfect example of why I hate the rules. Oh, I can't wait to find out how much you hate future lion James Lowe. Yeah, that that, <laughs> that I, I, I wouldn't begrudge James Lowe. I'd wish him the very best. He's actually a lovely man. I've interviewed him a few times, and he's a great bloke. I, don't, I would do the same if I was James Lowe. I'd do the same if I was Andy Farrell. If Warren Gatland picks him, I'd do the same if I was Warren Gatland. I hate that that is a possibility. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about James Lowe for a second because I thought he played phenomenally well. He is one of these players that every time he makes an intervention, something happens. I, I love that. I don't think he's the strongest. I don't think he's the quickest. But he makes things happen. And I do think he has, well, Lions potential. There you go. I've said it. I think he'll, I think that he'll go on the Lions tour. He's exactly the sort of player that, that you want. So I, I'd, I'd say I'd agree that he's not the quickest. He's one. He is one of the strongest wingers. Oh, is he? He's, his center of gravity is so low. He's got these lovely big wide hips. This big rump, big mm, powerful mm, rump, mm, and he's yeah. just so hard to to knock off the ball. It's so hard to to stop. I think he's a quality. I think he's an absolutely quality player. He is, isn't he? He's very well rounded. He gets involved everywhere. He, he yeah. knows how to sniff out space. Like there's nothing not to like about him. He reminds me a little bit of Jack Knoll. Yes, yes, so that's a great example. He, he comes off his wing and and will come and get involved. Um, he's got wicked step in small. Ma- he, he can step in a phone bo- phone box and he's tough. Can he play flanker? He, I reckon he could. He, yeah, he could. Yeah, nine. He, can he play nine out of ten positions like Jack Knoll? <laughs> He's a similar um, height and weight to Ben Earl. So is he really? He pl- yeah, 
He's listed as six two and one hundred and one kg. He's a hybrid. He's one of the, he's a hybrid player. Hybrid player. One of, yeah. one of Eddie's hybrids. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ben Earl would do an equally good job on the wing as James Lowe, actually, <laughs> or vice versa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, Come, I don't know. I'm just going to say we should, um, and, and we are doing now, but uh, we should commend Ireland as well because absolutely. It wasn't the simplest game for them, as in Jacob, Jacob Stockdale and Ian Henderson both ruled out on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that changes the team dynamic. Then Sexton goes off after 20-odd minutes, after looking great for those 20, 20 minutes. Um, yeah. Um, Billy Burns comes on. Billy Burns goes off after 65 minutes, and Conor Murray plays the end of the game at 10, including kicking sticks. Yeah, Conor Murray's a fun fantastic player to have should you need someone to go from 9 to 10 um, I mean I'm not sure he doesn't want to do that every week but it is a luxury that the Irish have I guess um, yeah on okay there's two things I wanted to talk to you about then one is the fly halves which I'll come back to and what was the other thing that you said yes that's, that's what I wanted to say did you notice the difference between the scrimmaging Tim uh, I, don't, I don't think I paid enough attention what? How do you not notice this? Wales came to town with a bloody big front row. I mean, if you look at Reese Carey and you look at... Um, Francis. Francis, they are two big boys. And Ireland came with two absolute muscle-bound hunks. And they absolutely murdered them. And I wonder if there's a, a bit of a story there as to like what a modern-day prop should look like. It's all right to have all this bulk and mass. But when you look at Porter... Um, lifting up Thomas Francis. I mean, Thomas Francis's feet were off the ground. You hardly ever see us in, in, in international. That's level eight. Don't, but don't you remember, wasn't it, was it uh, Porter got ab- absolutely pumped against Saracens? He got mullered. He did, yeah, he did. And now who By, was... It wasn't Cock, was it? Yeah, it would have been Cock because he'd been t- on the tight head. I, I don't know if he started that game. No, tight head and tight head. It'd be, it'd oh, be no, Mako, it'd be uh, Mako. Hang on, hang on. Was it Mako? Sorry, sorry, I'm getting it wrong. Um, oh, who was the... Keen Healy. Keen Healy. Keen Healy lifts up... Um, uh, Thomas Francis. Thomas Francis. Yeah. Thank you very much. But if you look at the build of, the, um, of those two boys, they're absolutely magnificent. Yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah. that is the future. Oh, well, 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 my only point was, in other games and other matchups the same people that were doing the pumping have been pumped in recent memory, like in the Saracens game. That, yeah, I mean, Vincent, Vincent Cock is massive, technically brilliant and incredibly strong. Um, I imagine, I imagine that Mr. Francis is incredibly strong and he is massive. Technically he's proficient, but, you know, styles make matchups and he got absolutely pummeled. Oh, he did. And, I mean, and Port, it, it, it is worthwhile um, just pointing out that Porter is still a very young man particularly by international prop standards he's he's only 24 yeah. um, and I seem to remember him I might be getting this wrong I seem to remember him playing Lucid as well and he's, it's only more recently that he's totally dominated or totally focused on being a tight head so he's still got a lot of learning to go but that 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 was a really impressive performance some of those scrums were, were huge agreed agreed so well played, Ireland, and uh, yeah. Oh, can I just raise one more point on this? Yeah. So, uh, Sexton doesn't look like he's going to be available for next game. Maybe Billy Burns not as well. Billy Burns head knock. John Cooney. Yeah. Well, who's going to be next ten? Cooney. And then? Uh... And then they've got, well, they've got the you've got the lad at um, Leinster, the youngster. What's his name? Burn. 
Yeah, Burn. Um, is it Ross, Burn, and you've got Harry Burn as well. And then? Uh, well, because uh, Carberry's not fit, is he? Um, Madigan. And uh, then? Haven't they got another player that's about to be... Oh, we've got, we've got the guy that was at Munster, who's now qualified. And then we've got Hanrahan at Munster is it, as well, who sometimes play, plays yeah, there. Yeah, who was the fly They've got a young 10 as well. Who, I can't remember his... I'm just going to try and find his name. He's it... been playing for Munster. Um, okay, let, let tall, me just... t- a tall, rangy player. Let me just cut cut to the chase. Oh, um, oh not, not, you don't mean Blandell, do you? Whatever his name is. No. Oh, the guy not, who hit uh, the guy Taylor who hit the Blandell. last minute. The, the guy who hit the last minute. Um, Blandell, that's who I was thinking of before. Uh, no, what about ben the, guy, the guy Ben Healy who hit the, that late um, that late penalty winner? Correct. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say, boys, how far down the pecking order do you have to go? Uh, until we get to um, your boy from Ulster, uh, Paddy Paddy Jackson. Oh, I thought you were going to go the other way. Oh, go on. I thought, um, his name just got out of my head. Um, Exeter Chiefs. Um, oh, Steno, yeah. Steno. Steno. Out, out of retirement. Steno, yeah. Retirement. He's just won back-to-back trophies. Oh. Um, he doesn't need to retire. Well, pe- people. Some people don't Who? like. Some people don't like to hear this, but I. I just think it's a fact. The second best Irish qualified fly half is Paddy Jackson. Uh, I don't disagree with you. I mean, he's good. He's very good. Um, he was. I, I, I can honestly. I, I really, really rated Paddy Jackson. Uh, I've not seen enough of him in the last four years. Let's say to, to say whether he still has it because he's obviously had a turbulent four years. Uh, so I guess my question is who is more likely to play in the Irish 10 shirt Madigan or Paddy Jackson Madigan is playing in Ireland which does help that does help it does help but they want to win games right (laughs) I I think Madigan is more likely to play I think Madigan I think Madigan is more likely to play yeah ridiculously just and I'm not saying yeah I'm just saying it on 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 rugby Paddy Jackson is Worthy and should be in the Ireland squad, but obviously for lots of different reasons. But mainly that he's not playing in the country. Um, yeah, but the, you know they did make an exception for Sexton, didn't, didn't they? Everyone seems to yeah, have forgotten about but that. They did, but it, that's that seems to be the last one because yeah. obviously Zebo, they've not made an exception for. With the best will in the world, uh, Zebo is a magnificent player and a great guy to have around, and, and a good dancer. A judging dancer. by his social media, <laughs> yeah, do super- little TikTok dances, superb. Superb range of sweaters too. Um, <laughs> that said, that said, he is not Jonathan Sexton. Uh, no, I'm not saying him playing ten, but they they do have a they do have a fullback problem. Yeah, um, although although Keenan played very well there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Ireland England if if if, if that happens, when that happens, mm. uh, that will that that will be one hell of a matchup. In fact, that's not next week, is it? It's a week after. Have I got that right? Was it next week? Uh, it is. It is next week. That's going to be dynamite. Absolute dynamite. Yeah. So that, I didn't. That think, is exciting. Yeah, I didn't think it would be after France absolutely pummeled Ireland, but uh, if Ireland managed to beat England, we could have a Worcester Warriors situation. On, um, uh, uh, on our hands, where the team uh, they've beaten a team who has beaten some of the the best teams who in the beat, top fourteen. Exactly right. And where do you stand there? Because for a little while, Worcester Warriors were the best team in Europe. 
<laughs> having beaten was it Toulon they beat in no the... they beat uh, Oyana oh. who, who beat oh, Toulon yeah. so <laughs> that was it was to beat the t- and Dean Ryan said we've just beaten the team that beat the team that won the European Cup you know I wouldn't be surprised if we re- if we um if we revisit that quote, I wouldn't be surprised if we've we misremembered it because this thing, you know, these things do happen. It's, it's more like we've just beaten the team which ran Toulon really close on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should mention with uh, Worcester as well, a man who really was a big part of the, the Six Fields Six Ways. Six Ways development and their resurgence to, back to the Premiership. Cecil Duckworth passed away today. Yeah, real, real shame. Mm, yeah. It's a. Uh, is nice to remember what 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 he achieved. He took that club from you know basically amateur roots mm. and then made it into the for, in into the force it is today. So yeah. he will be missed. Yeah, mm. great rugby man. Um, good work, Ireland. Come on then. Let's let's. We've got Scotland, Italy. We've got England. Let's talk England for a second. Because <sighs> I, I was surprised to see the way that people were talking about this game. I think even was it on the was it on the, one of the headlines we saw immediately after the game. England failed to impress in 40-0 win against Georgia. Yeah, I... So it's been important. First of all, my favourite part of the weekend was this because I got to watch this game socially dis- distant with Tim. So I delivered him a coffee to, to his door. Then I went back to my house and we watched it on Zoom, live. Yeah. In, in, nice. In, 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 uh, in real time. Sadly, you were busy, Phil. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I actually got company to watch a rugby game for the first time in God knows how long. We didn't totally what we didn't totally talk about the rugby a lot of it because yeah, there wasn't really. I, I no. can't really remember what happened actually. Uh, although, to be fair, this game really did top up my knowledge on the current COVID situation. Whether it taught me anything about rugby, I don't. I don't really yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's safe to say. You're not going to learn a huge amount of from England from watching this, mm. um, except for I do think that that the um, the memory of last year's World Cup final and them getting manhandled so badly by South Africa is impacting on the way they play, yeah, um, a little bit, and that they are almost having to rebuild and reprove to themselves. That's a that, great shout, that, Phil. But they are a physically dominant team, and they can be a physically dom- dominant team. Yeah, um, and that's that's what that's what they did. That's the they were exercising some of the demons from the World Cup in this game. I think rather than talk about the game, maybe selection is more of a window into the soul here. Uh, I loved the back row which they put out. I mean, it's bloody monstrous. Whether I would <laughs> massive, yeah, and it's actually um, garnered quite a lot of criticism during the week because obviously England have got a lot of flankers and you want to put Myra Toji in at six let me tell you this much Myra Toji is not the world's best back row only for the simple reason that he's too busy being the world's best second row you know if he wanted to be the world's best back row I have no doubt he could be the world's world's best six you would have to be insane to think that that, that he couldn't be uh, so I have no problem with him being there and if you want to you know shift shift him out one so you're a bit more physical I think that is as good an option as any country in the world has at six frankly um, and it, go on and in, in conditions like this it suits it and yeah. it, I think that's, this is what Eddie Jones has shown when it's wetter greasier colder and there's going to be a bit less rugby played out wide that's that seems like a great option yeah, he's a marvellous option to have because you know, when it isn't the conditions that we saw on the weekend, you can have a, a mobile pack with an absolute colossus at second row. 
and when you don't need a Colossus in the second row, you can have a Colossus in the back row with two even bigger men in the second row. So, <laughs> you know, it works in multiple ways. Pairing Jack Willis up with him, I mean, that, they are... I mean, I, obviously I love Tom Curry, obviously I love Sam Underhill. I just like the brutality that, that, that those duo bring. I do have worries about Billy, though. I do think... I thought he looked better than he's looked in a long time. I, I think that as well, actually. I thought he had a good... I thought he had a, a reasonable game. I think he's been good for Saracens in, you know, their last dance. But I do feel that he's a player on the, on, on the decline and that he is susceptible to, in, to injury. And if they have a bigger back row, does that open up the door then to reintroduce Tom Curry? Because that's no laughing matter either. If oh, you're on the opp- man, this is... I love this. Like... I just want to point out, go back and listen to the podcast. I was I was defending Eddie trying Tom Curry out as a number eight. You were not having it at all. Well, no, because I'd have Jack Willis at eight. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, you've got the two big guys and then you'd have Tom Curry or Underhill if you just want to, you know, to absolutely ruin someone. Yeah. But, you know, the options are great. I, I think, um, oh, and of course, Ben Earl plays eight in case you've forgotten about him. So yeah, England. So or... does Don Brandt. They have forgotten about him. Yeah, they have. And Simmons. Oh. Yeah, they definitely forgot about him a long time ago. Sadly. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, if, if Christ, I mean, those are options that those are problems that you want to have. Yeah, they are. They, they, they're pack. Um, no, no complaints from the pack performance in this this game, and, and um, there'll be no complaints at all from Jamie George, who was given an armchair ride to to an international hat trick. Yeah. Uh, um, the back line is a bit more interesting. Um, and the the combination that he went for, which is quite an exciting young combination of Lawrence and Slade, um, that didn't... So it didn't work particularly well in this game. Um, they got a bit of change uh, with Joseph coming off his wing later on. And Joseph, a third 13 on the pitch mm. uh, at once with three 13s on, on the pitch and one on the bench in Marchant. But I think that that's the kind of centre combination or whatever the cent- the long-term centre combination is, it's going to need quite a bit of time to properly bed in, I think. Yeah, I'm... Uh, yeah, well, well, what do you think, Tim? Uh, I, th- I think in this, what I took away from that, and it's hard to judge because the conditions were so bad and it was new combinations and whatnot, but I, I came away from that thinking... The player they really missed was George Ford. He's, mm. I think he's possibly, and it's going to be an interesting one over the next couple of years. But he's he's been so good over the last few years for England and all the other pieces. When George Ford is available and can be picked, everything else just falls into place because your twelve is automatically Owen Farrell. And we've talked about how difficult that twelve position has been and how the the role of a twelve is changing in in, in rugby across the board. And then you just Slade works be- has already worked beautifully with that. So has Tuolangi worked beautifully with that. I don't know. So I yeah. So Slade to me looks like he is slowly but surely establishing himself as a twelve. Even though this wasn't a great performance, mm. I feel that Eddie sort of likes this now. He likes Owen at ten, unsurprisingly, and he likes Slade at twelve. I think he's grown in grown into that role. What he's going to do at thirteen is beyond me. And I don't know. And what do you think of the Joseph selection? I, I, I think. Well, what personally, I think it's absolutely fine. Um, 
he's got the skills. And also, if you add Ollie Lawrence in his first international game, someone who really understands defending that channel, helping him, is, is a great shout. But look at um, who's the fella got my um, oh the not for Fanar that the the oh he was the the, the left wing for France in the last game. He just had an absolute Fiku. He's, he started. As, yeah. He started as a centre. He's played right across the back line. He's got skills. He's got gas. And I think Jonathan Joseph is really experienced international rugby player, and he, he showed that he can I, do it. I mean, you'd have to really give me a convincing argument as to why Jonathan Joseph does not play international rugby in some for in some shirt or another. The only criticism is I just think he's so good at 13. I think defensively he's so good. Going forward, he's rapid. Like he's just a, a very, very good player. I t- I totally agree. So giving him exposure on the wing and establishing that he can do that well and it's not the first time he's played there makes him a, the 23 shirt m- makes him a really great option for the number 23 shirt yeah jersey. I think he's just I just think he's absolutely superb um, and then if, if you think if you think someone like Max Malins and Jonathan Joseph between them Cover- you've got everything in the back line and you've got Slade, Slade on the field too Slade on the field as well yeah. and Farrell yeah. and, and Daly and Daly <laughs> maybe that's what he meant by three. hybrids yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of hybrids. Um, a lot of, well, you've got four guys who are out and out. No, possibly even five guys if you count daily, uh, who are um, their primary position. Can I just, considered yeah. to be thirteens, but can play right across the, the my, back line. My biggest problem here, and quite frankly, it is unconscionable to me that this has happened. If you have a team with four thirteens and one of them isn't called Sam James, I think that is an absolute disgrace. <laughs> five thirteens with daily. Daily yeah. Joseph Lawrence Slade Marchant. I can't. I can't. I mean, there is no. He's the best thirty. He might be the best back in the whole competition. He's certainly the best thirteen. Why he's not? I mean, it's <laughs> beyond me. Beyond me. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I think Tim. Maybe your point is right. Maybe the key to getting that England backline firing is George Ford. But then that, I mean, that raises questions in itself as to. If if the way that you play is so heavily reliant on one individual player, um, then that that is a problem. Well, let's just remember that England. We, you're right about the back line. It didn't really click, but they just it, gr- they ground a decent international team into paste and should have won by much more. Yeah, they really did ground them into dust to the point that it's like watching. I a said replay. paste, not dust. Oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> well, I mean, paste is just dust with water, right? It was a wet day. Yeah, it was a wet day, exactly. It, it, it was very wet. <laughs> Pasty dust. Uh, I can't remember what I was going to say now. It was profound and it was right, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> the George Ford reliance. Uh, no, it's gone. No, it's gone. George Ford, yeah. Um, I mean, is he injured? What's yeah. his... Yeah. He'll be coming... He had a foot issue, didn't he? Did they start him in the foot. World Cup? Yeah. Did they? Yeah. Didn't they yeah. change? They didn't they change it for the final? Yeah, I thought they changed it for the final. I thought they played him against New Zealand at ten, and and then they had him on the bench for the final. Yeah, because Shh. did Tuolangi start? Yeah, I think they went Tuolangi Slade. They went Farrell Tuolangi Slade for the final. Let's just check that. I think. Hmm. Maybe wrong. No, no, Ford, Ford and Farrell and Tuolangi. Ford started to. Oh, they just changed Slade for Tuolagi in the final. And Slade was number two. Doesn't matter. Slade, <laughs> Slade was on the bench in the final. Uh, yeah, I guess he, he was. wasn't. Didn't start. Uh, yes, yeah, Slade, Slade and Joseph. So two, two 13s on the bench. Still no Sam James. 
fine. Uh, <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So going back to the chat we've had about Australia in previous weeks, maybe England are actually the players they're producing now. It's it, very much like Australia; they're multi-positional, multi-skilled. Yeah, apart from apart from twelves, apart from twelves, who no one quite knows exactly yeah, so, what they want. So I guess the big difference between England and Australia in that regard is when Australia get these multi-positional players, they they usually converts from league league, sorry, league. And if they're not, they've usually brought up in a league system. So I know Ghetto grew up playing league and um obviously Falau. Oh by the way, have you noticed that they've airbrushed out Falau from um from the greatest wallabies? No. <laughs> what was the greatest wallabies? So there's some uh Fox Sport th- uh, thing and it's, you know, um, you know, a list of it's basically a montage of all the great great wallabies. And Israel Falau is not on there, despite. I mean, is he not their, their top try scorer? He's not far uh, off. Yeah, and he's certainly, um, in terms of his rugby ability, he is almost unparalleled. So, uh, regardless of what you think of him and his views, um, he did. He did play. Like you can't. I mean, I, I know this is fashionable now uh, to recreate the um, the actions of Lenin when he airbrushed out Tro- yeah, Trotsky. Just burn books, like like you know what, when the, when um, we're going to pretend he never when, played. When civilizations would go and conquer other places, they would yeah you know, they would just destroy all statues, burn yeah. burn all tablets. Oh, are we going to get to a stage where if you want to watch a historic uh, Wallabies game? When when the ball goes out to Falau, it's pixelated out, or, or worse still, you know the ball just floats in the air because they need to airbrush him. I mean, I just don't, I don't know where this is going to end. I, I, At I least think, acknowledge he played the bloody game. Yeah, I think it. Patro- what I think is it patronizes people. Yeah, to think they oh, they couldn't cope with separating the bits of of an individual they don't like with a player and his rugby ability on the field whilst he was wearing the Wallaby jersey or any jersey. It's, anyway. It, it, I, I, I find it quite condescending. It's bizarre, sinister behaviour. But that, you know, there, there we go. Yeah. Um, did anyone see Italy, Scotland? Yeah. Did you enjoy yeah. it? Yeah. I, 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 I did. I really enjoyed it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a great game. I enjoyed it more than England. I thought it was a good game, yeah. I thought it was good. Yeah. I thought it was it was inevitable, wasn't it? What was going to happen? That, yeah. Like I, that first half, I was getting really excited, thinking, "Bloody hell, yes, we're on it." Well, Argentina had just done it, right? Yeah, exactly. So Ar- it was like- Ar- Argentina had done it. Italy were playing with like real smarts for a young team. They were playing with a lot, a lot of rugby smarts in that first half. Well, they just threw the kids in, didn't, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, they did. Well, they did a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They, However, they did so because they're the best players, not because they've got rid of loads of older players that are. 
that are still good enough, but they're just old. They've just got the best players. They don't have a particularly yeah. good they, pool of players. They seem to have a, a nice balance now. That um, The younger 10, whose name escapes me. Um, Obisi. Yes, he played well. I thought the scrum off played well. I thought uh, Kana managed to settle everyone down. You got a little bit of uh, flair with Minotzi. It, it's good. You know, you can get some decent carrying done by... Um, by Paledre. You, know, you had it all uh, together. And Negri. Yeah. Negri, Negri likes a carry. Um, did Bram stay at the stain play? No. He did, didn't he? I think he did. Oh, no. Oh, he didn't start, though, right? No, I think, he, I, think, I think he did. I was just saying that because... Did he? Yeah, because I think... I think the reason I'm getting, getting confused... Are you six? Yes, I think he's changed his facial hair. Uh. Um, Negri, Negri was definitely six, and he put in a few very good carries. Yeah. Anyway, point uh, point is, they they seem to be going in the right direction. Now, I I am very reticent to give credit to Connor O'Shea for this because he wasn't going well. Mate, I don't want I don't like it when the coach goes and then they start winning and they go. Do you know what? It's because of that. It's the old coach that did this. Well, which. Which lots of people, you included, I might add, did Stuart, Stuart Lancaster. Lancaster. Well, it's not. Here. I didn't do that. I don't go around saying it's Stuart Lancaster the reason that Eddie Jones win, uh, wins games. No, no. Oh, the op- I thought you were saying the opposite is true. Like you, people don't give credit for the things that a coach did to lay the foundations for the next person. Exactly right, and nor should they. Okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, international rugby is about winning now. Otherwise, you know, like you say, Tim, it's, it's win your next game. Yeah. Oh, oh, totally. So agree. You, you, you well, two, two things can be true at once. You can can go, they? You weren't good enough. Uh, at the time, but you also did some really positive things that are going to bear fruit in years to come. Stuart Lancaster, that was the case, and Conor O'Shea, that was the case. Yeah, but that isn't two things true at the same time, is it? If you're do- if you're establishing things for the future, you weren't good enough at that time. So now yeah, they're two diff- they're two separate points, aren't they? Two separate. It's, it's like no, no, no. it's like uh, Jose Mourinho uh, as a football manager it's... never ever does anything for the club long term. Mm. Uh, if when he's successful, he wins trophies for a few years, never brings through youth players. That's kind of my point. Kill, like might actually do more long-term damage, but he'll win you some trophies. Yeah, that's sort of. Well, that's kind of my point. So, uh, what, so maybe maybe Stuart Lancaster and Conor O'Shea were, have been the opposite for Italy and England. They yeah, actually but did if more, they, are they, did, they did more long-term good. They did more long-term good. Which, and, by definition, if your thought is win your next game. If that's the definition oh. of a good coach, then they can't be a good international coach. Oh well, no! You I, see what I mean? On that basis, yes, but they are—they are mutually exclusive. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, I, I think it was a good performance, and if they carry on like, like this, who knows? They might—they might win a game. Yeah, they could win a game um, if they're allowed to play their games, um, because they are obviously due to play Fiji next week. Yeah, um, which was part of the. Um, Cancelled French game, which is probably the game I was looking forward to, forward to most all weekend. Um, what is the Fiji story? Is, is it um, Fiji? Is it just an outbreak within the Fiji camp? Yeah, I think that was it. it yeah, I think it is. Um, it just put the other put the other players, it put the other sides and the other fixtures at risk. So, yeah, it's um, it, it's yeah. a real shame. I mean, it's, I guess it's, it's, I guess that's what happens when you out drinking with uh, Saracens boys, isn't it? <laughs> it was inevitable. I mean, how, how could it go any other way? Yeah. So it's, it was positive test from the Fiji squad. Um, it was just on Scotland briefly. Much like with Andy Farrell, 
there's a bit of identity really coming through with the with the Scotland team. They've got a, they've got a way that they play. They don't have the biggest players, but they get around that. They're pretty ferocious on on the deck at the breakdown. Yeah, um, and and they've they've got some ballers in the backs who when it's right, and, and there's some guys that I don't necessarily think are or don't always look great, but it seems to really do a job. Chris Harris always seems to do I, a really I, solid job. I love Chris Harris. Mm. I think he is massively underrated, which is a strange thing to say because quite often he comes off the field as one of the best players. I wonder if it's the contrast that he brings. Because he's, so, he's such a heavy carrier. He's strong. And if you surround him with people like, well, Finn Russell, well, just Finn Russell, really, um, you know, he or, is going to look strong. Or Duncan Weir. Or Finn Russell Weir. or Duncan Weir. And it, he, he did pr- pr- pretty well in fairness to him. It's good to see him mm. back. Yeah, it was. I, I've always quite liked Duncan Weir. Um, and he, he put in a solid all-round performance. Yeah, he did well when he's he asked... had that try... Oh, yes. should, have, should have been given that. They should have just overlooked that uh, sneaky little forward pass. Just give it to Duncan Ware. Too, too sneaky by half. Yeah. Uh, the Italian scrum demolished Scotland to start with, and then they seem to have sort of fallen off a bit. And I guess that would be the difference, which is they don't have the quality to maintain it throughout the whole 80 minutes. Well, it's a lot harder. Yeah. It's a lot harder now that the five-year rule's been brought in for Scotland because they, uh, they managed to bring one uh, Saffer on at prop. Um, Ollie Kebble, who sort of solidified it a little bit. Mm. Yeah, we could do with some more South Africans playing for Italy, to be in, fair. In, in fairness, Tim, they did bring two Saffers off because WP Nell came off, off the bench as well. Correct. WP Nell's not not um, not from the, the, what, the Isle of Skye. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Wow. Did not know that. <laughs> uh, just one point of order. Just just to let you know as well, we will have a um, a midweek domestic podcast, an MWDP looking ahead to the start of the Premiership, which starts on Friday night. Crikey! Yes. Two yes. games, two games on Friday night. All all games on BT Sport, of course, across the weekend, uh, and uh, consequently, also a reminder: get your mates together to do a fantasy rugby draft league. One thing that has changed is you can do an eight team league rather than a ten team league. What? So you might only need to get seven mates together if if that. If that is the case, yeah. So, for instance, if I didn't, if I wasn't on a rugby podcast, yeah, I probably could only play in an eight-team league. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't have enough. I wouldn't have enough clout in you know, the general pop to get ten. We, we pity you in, uh, and jo- join in with you. But also on that, get uh, let's see how many of the top ten rated players. So they, they've got their draft ranking. Oh yeah, has now been published by Fantasy Rugby Draft. So see if you guys can guess. Let's have a little game. Who can get the most out of the top ten? Most what? Okay. So you take, oh. take it in terms of a guess. Who who have been re- re- rated top ten in this season's fantasy rugby so, draft? So the fantasy rugby draft guys <laughs> have gone down and gone. Who they predict the most valuable players will be? Got you, got you. So, so I actually so, thought so this is. I thought Tim was sorry, asking just, then. I thought it was a leading question because Tim was going to be. It's going to be like the ten most valuable managers or something, and Tim was going to be number one. We're going to have to go through. <laughs> have to guess hundreds of names so we could say Tim at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Tim, just for clarity, this is not this is not top scorers from last season, no. and it's not the most picked players or the, the no. earliest picked. No, it's just it's the, it's based on the ranking that that they have assigned players, which is arbitrary br- and arbitrary, but and we may disagree, but that's what they've gone for. So I'll let you take it in turns to, to guess and like family fortune style, who can get who can get mm. the most top answers. JB, you go first. So I will guess, with my first guess, 
Uh, R- Rob Dupree. Rob Dupree <laughs> is... Uh, what, it's quite surprising he went for a sale player uh, to start with. He's ranked 24. Oh, okay. <laughs> Phil. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed you didn't go for Sam James, but uh, not at all surprised oh, you... you went for a sale player, yeah. maybe. Um, my my first pick in the 2020-2021 uh, Fancy Rugby Draft is... Semi Randranda. He is ranked number one. But he doesn't kick. That's ridiculous. But he beats so many defenders. And fine, fine. If we and and he will not be in the Six Nations. All right, another guy who won't be in the Six Nations. Oh, do you want to have a go? Oh no, because you're no looking I'm looking at the list. <laughs> I'm happy to. I'll, I'll play this game. Yeah. Sort of, sort of odds that you like Cocker. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, okay. I think I think I know how this is developing now. Uh, I will go with Charles Pietau. He is ranked number three. Give me um, Sam Simmons. Ranked number two. Wow. Phil's got Ooh. one and two. Mm. Faffy. Faff de Klerk. No way. Fa- scrum offs do not score highly at but all. But he kicks. He's not on the first page. I'm going <laughs> to have a look. Uh, I'm going to have a look. Scrum halves. I bet he's not even the highest ranked scrum half. That's nonsense. Of course he is. Uh Scrum halves, he is the third highest scrum half and he's ranked 38 overall. Well, that's just wrong, isn't it? <laughs> Other fancy games are available. Phil, do a couple more. Give me uh, Sam Simmons' brother, Joe. Ah, uh, that's my next guess. Joe Simmons, ranked number 10. Is that it? Oh. Could uh, be higher. I want to get someone who's unusual. So you've got four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine that you haven't got. Let me just think of someone who's a little bit more esoteric. Let's pick Daniel Cipriani. No. No chance. He doesn't kick at Gloucester. Oh, he doesn't, does he? Do you want to pick again? Yes, I do. Go on. It's just a bad pick, JB. Move on. I'm going to pick... Ollie Thorley. Ollie Thorley, ranked number six. How is Ollie Thorley? Hang on. Because he beats that? defenders for fun. He scores tries. He's, he won me the game Have against he... Phil in the quarterfinal. Yeah, but he's basically. also in the Six Nations. Well, he's not, though, is he? Probably. He might be. Maybe. He may be. He, he, he'd be a risky pick. But if he's not an England player, he'll be an absolute dynamite. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Jacob. Uh, hang on. Does he kick? Jimmy Gopeth. Jimmy Gopeth is ranked number. 14. Oh, this is a joke. Phil's won it by a mile. Oh, let me fill in the gaps. Yeah. So 10 to 1 is Joe Simmons, Marcus Smith, Lewis oh, Reese Zamet, Max Malins, 6 is Ollie Thorley, 5 is Ben Earl. How did you not pick yeah. Ben Earl? He was your because, boy. Because he was your boy this year. Because of England. Mm. Uh, number 4, Namani Nandolo. I'm not sure about that. Uh, uh, I'm not sure about that. He'll, he'll get quite a lot of game time. Yeah, but... Yeah, you know, in a team with no director of rugby that don't score any points with no fly half or scrum half. It's quite interesting looking at this top yeah, ten, and, th- and then we've already got the top three: Piertal, Simmons, Randrandra. But that means Naira Voro has dropped out of. He was like number one last year, and he's not yeah. even in the top twenty-five this year. 
he's not been he's not hardly been playing. I know. As in he has been playing on the bench a lot, and when he has been playing, just Northampton have been doing nothing. I uh, well, I really need to do a bit of work. He's ranked number thirty this year. I need to do a bit of work looking at the uh draft boards to prep for Wednesday night. Although you need to change our draft time, JB, because it says it's in one day and twenty one hours, which is Tuesday night. We <gasps> need to make sure it's Wednesday. I'll night. get on to the league secretary about that. Good. <laughs> Lee, uh, it is Lee Commissioner, isn't it? Ollie Poole. No, no, I'm Lee Commissioner, like head of state, like the Queen. Although I have no actual functional power or uh, administrative role, that goes down to the League Secretary, can you, as you well know. Can you also tell the League Secretary, the Secretary to add in a loser um, semi-final final as well? We'll do. We'll do all over that. Good. Um, so, next week's games. Oh, do you want to talk about Jordan Murphy? Or do you want to say that for a different podcast? Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk about that here, and then we can we'll touch upon it. I'm sure in the Premiership preview as well. But yeah, Leicester Tigers had a Friday, no Monday morning meeting this week. It, it was, was decided a, on a, in the Monday morning meeting. I have no doubt about that. It was a Friday afternoon announcement, anyway, of Jordan Murphy's, uh, well, the ending of a very very long and very distinguished career at Leicester Tigers. Oh, it's so sad. I think that's the main takeaway. I mean, I wouldn't have had him as director of rugby anyway. I think it'd been much healthier for him to go when he was learning his trade as a coach. Allegedly, he had offers from both Cardiff Blues and Northampton to go for roles there. And I just think it'd be far more healthy for him if he'd have left. Um, because, it, I mean, maybe this relationship's repairable one day. Uh, you know, I'm sure he'll always be welcome at Welford Road. But it just isn't the way I would like to see a guy like that leave the club. Um, it's, it's a problem, uh, too, because... Uh, Leicester Tigers seem utterly directionless. You know, they've you know, we talk about the coaches uh, over and over again. They've got you know just add more and more coaches uh, to the mix. I don't think Peter Tom's particularly interested now. I mean, he wants to sell the club, uh, but he also wants to sell, sell it at a profit. There again, where is the profit in rugby clubs? Where is the profit in in sport in general at the moment? So, Leicester Tigers, if you didn't think, if you weren't taking seriously the prospect for relegation next year, I think you want to be taking it pretty seriously right now. Yeah, I, I I certainly um would have that worry if I were a Leicester Tigers fan. Albeit maybe maybe this is exactly what they need. Maybe um because Jordan Murphy has been such a um such a huge part of the club for so long through both the good times when he was a player, but also the bad times since he's since he's finished playing, um, as Leicester have uh slowly deteriorated as a rugby power. Maybe, maybe this is the shakeup that they need, and um, so it's, I thought it was interesting to see that the Leicester Tigers official statement, um, while it, it, it said that there was no one taking over the director of rugby role, it it, it specifically referenced Steve Borthwick as um, understanding the expectations that are on his shoulders now, meaning that he is taking the lead role. Um, in the coaching setup, rather than someone else who has done that kind of role before in Mike Ford. I mean, what a gamble, eh? What an utter gamble with such a great club. I thought it was a gamble to put Jordan Murphy in charge there. They surrounded him with uh, surrounded him with play. Uh, sorry, with different uh, with different people to help him along. Uh, they've got rid of um, Simon Cohen, whose background 
is an agency, and despite what people might think about Simon Cohen, um, you know he was the guy who went and scouted uh, and scouted the players. Whether that's successful or not, I mean, you can make up your own mind. <laughs> but you know that's another part of the jigsaw that is now gone. It's not obvious that they've tried to replace that knowledge, or even that they felt it necessary to do so. Uh, and then you've got Baltwick stepping up, who allegedly is an incredible coach, an incredible line-up coach. He's done skill, a skills coaching role for England. He's done all sorts of stuff, but he has never been the head man. And it doesn't answer any of the questions around Leicester Tigers, which have always been uh, posed, such as who was in charge of recruitment, who was in charge of salary cap, who was in... You know, before it was a bit of a, Well, you kind of knew it was a mishmash. Now I have no idea. Is Andrea Pynchon uh, doing the same role as Simon Cohen used to? Is she going out and... Scout, scouting the scouting the players, uh, they've lost uh, Jed Glynn too, who was the head of rugby. He's disappeared. I don't know who does his job. It was even a necessary job, you know. You got all, uh, and also you got to think about all the other people that, that have left prior to Jordan Murphy. Uh, Stankovic went. Uh, Richard Blaze went. Uh, there's another one as well whose name escapes me. Um, Deacon, one of who's one of the Deacon, yes, one of the Deacons, maybe. But, you know, it's also piecemeal, isn't it? There's no overarching strategy. It's not like they just brought in a new guy and said, look, you take over. You know, Andrea Pynchon has come in as an underling from Simon Cohen. I think she was their chief operating officer. Hang on. Yes, before becoming the CEO. So, again, there's more questions. You know, this was unfortunately looking inevitable when Steve Borthwick came in. I mean, it was. It was yeah, you're right. It, it was looking inevitable, and it's a real shame. I think it's one of those situations where, in really tough times, Jordan Murphy was handed the reins, and much like Martin Johnson with England, you could have had someone that could have been outstanding, who mm. was handed a really difficult job before they were ready, yeah. and it's just left a really sour taste. You wonder, don't you now? Looking back at it, how much of this club was held together by by Richard Cockrell? Mm. You know how much was his experience with the players and his way of working pa- pa- papering papering over the cracks? Because when he goes, and also Leicester Tigers for a, a club that prides itself on its history and you know all the people surrounded by it, they have really left a bitter taste in the mouths of you know Dean Richards certainly, probably Richard Cockrell now. Rory Underwood's another one that's left. Yeah, I mean, he was on. I mean, that was a bizarre situation that they had. Was it the rugby committee? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, it reminded me of the old coalition government when they had the quad, like four people meet up and they decide which which players the coach has and which ones they don't. Let the coach decide, or a scout, or director of rugby, or somebody. Yeah, yeah. It's, just a, it's a real sad thing. He's a lovely bloke. He won everything. He was a massive part of everything that was great about Leicester Tigers through the glory years, and I just feel sorry for him that. He was given that job at that time with everything else going on because yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure anyone could have done a great deal better. Yeah, and the sad thing is, what does he do? Turn it down? Like it's probably been the job he's dreamt of having for God knows how long. Probably his, you know, since he became a coach, maybe even, be- maybe even before that, when he's been captaining the side. And you, you can't turn it down. You can't turn down Leicester Tigers if you are Leicester Tigers through and through. And it's just a poison chalice. Mm. So I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere, and I think it'll be great for him to go somewhere else and, you know, experience a different. I mean, he's been in the same club for 22 years. There are different ways yeah. of doing things, 
and I hope he goes and finds somewhere where he can learn and, and build himself up oh, again. It's, it's a tough time to be. Well, it's a tough time for anyone, player, coach, or whatever, to be out of a job. So hopefully he had a nice long contract which has been paid out. Yeah, because uh, Leicester Tigers are famous for paying out long contracts of uh, people <laughs> that they get that they get rid of on, on a whim. Yeah, <laughs> let's not go there. Let's not go there. Any other business, gents? Uh, well, next week's games would be businessish. Yeah, Biz- businessy, Ooh. I guess. Yeah. So we'll we'll cover the Premiership games as you said before, Tim, in the um, MWDP that will be popping into your feed hopefully on Wednesday morning, yeah. Tuesday night. Um, but the um, Autumn Nations Cup games, subject to no more um, outbreaks of SARS-CoV-2, are... So we have got, uh, on Saturday at 3 o'clock, England hosted Ireland, which is probably the game of the week. Uh, yes, it so most certainly is, at, is. This is at Twickenham. Not that there's going to be any crowd, but um, Twickenham home home advantage for England. I don't, I don't know. I shouldn't be asking this now, but I'm going to ask it now because just because I've got you on the line, Phil, and I know you're very learned and very experienced. Just on the so SARS-CoV two, just on the on the whole COVID thing. There's a st- I've just noticed there's a story saying Boris Johnson is self isolating for two weeks because he came into contact with someone who tested positive, but he's had it right. Yes. Um, so what's what's that about? From, from, from I'm, 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 I'm thinking about this from a rugby point of view. There will be clubs thinking. Probably might have the same thoughts if they've got players that have had it. Yes, yeah. Phil. Tell, tell, tell me, what, as a quantity surveyor, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> no, I just know Phil reads everything and he knows. And he also, un, unlike you who will talk to your wife about her day at work at the hospital, Phil would go into great depth and find out the, the epidemiological uh, if, cutting edge as, from the front if, line of the NHS. As if I would do that, I would read something on Twitter. For my curated feed, and also the one the one question I have is like he's got it, he he's had it, so he can't get it again. But if he can get it again, then what good is a vaccine? Because uh, a vaccine is only replicating what you would what would happen to you if you got it. Hmm. I don't know. So, so, so I think I think the answer to this is um, it's because it we don't know. Um, there, are, there. Are, I've read that there has been some very small cases where they believe people have uh, tested positive twice, genuinely had the um, the virus twice, and been potentially contagious. Yeah, but but, um, but they're, they're, the they're more so likely early, to be in, they're more likely to be immunity anomalies rather than bearing in mind the numbers yeah. so small. But anyway, the, fine. I, fine. Yeah, I would just Sorry. say uh, if he is isolating, I, my only hope is it's true isolation and that he doesn't have any contact with the outside world whatsoever because I think we could do with two weeks without him. So that would be that would be my overriding well, yeah, I, I think I wonder if it might have been uh, quite an opportunistic. Quick, find someone with COVID. We can stand him next to you so we can just hide him for a couple of weeks. Or he wants to go yeah. on holiday. I mean, you know, that's the sort of thing which uh, I think I would try. <laughs> you, you know, a, a couple of weeks off, fly off to Greece. I don't know. Oh, dearie me. Well, what? Why not? I'm not uh, anyway, sorry. It, back, back to rugby. So, so yeah, these Fiji... Hopefully, touch wood, the game goes ahead. And um, yeah, game of the weekend. Go back to that. What were you saying? So, yeah, uh, three o'clock on Saturday, England versus Ireland. Nice. Love it. Nice, nice, nice. So, how do you see this going? um, How do I see this going? Well, okay, so let's assume that they put out the same teams. I know that's. Is that a good assumption? Broadly speaking, like, there'll be minor changes. England England will change a few. And Ireland yeah. show up with which fly half? 
Ooh, good question. Um, Gareth Steenson. Well, obviously Ireland win. Um, we don't need to talk about that too much. <laughs> if Gareth Steenson doesn't start, they're not going to. Wouldn't they? They wouldn't go. Con- Is that mental to even mention they might look at Conor Murray? No, they'd, they'd get in one of the Burn boys. Yeah, they yeah, would. Surely. They would Ross, have to. Ross Burn. Um, so one of the Burn boys comes in. I've seen him play before. He's, he's very, very, very good. Um, ultimately, one player shouldn't make that much of a difference. Let's look at the packs. Very impressed with uh, Alan's pack. I love, I love the physicality Quinn uh, Quinn Rue bought. That said, if uh, Henderson's available, and is he likely to be be, be available? Uh, I don't know. Is he on Sansa? Yeah, but but their back row these these youngsters are looking the absolute bollocks, aren't they? That that back <sighs> that back row is going to be huge. What a test for Caelan Doris. Caelan Doris is great. Um, yeah, Omani's great. And who's the third one that they went with? Well, uh, take, van der Fleer. Take, I was going to say, take your pick. You got it was Van der Fleer on this occasion, but um, there's other guys. So I like them. I, I like all three of them, mm. but I do not nearly like them as much as the as our England op, op, um, opposition. I, I, even even a matchup with the wily old Omani does not go down well if he's got to deal with Atoji all, all all day long. That man is just a different. He's just a different beast. Um, I think Willis might be one of the. I, I, if Tom Curry's Really, 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 really outstanding. Like I think Tom Curry is easily good enough to get in the Irish back, back row and command the place. I think Willis has got the potential to be even better than that. I mean, I think he can be incredible. The Irish back row is good. I think the English back row batters them. Yeah, the, the one position I think Ireland could we could be talking about on Saturday evening as what what a crucial position is, it's like a Bundyaki type character in the centre. I think he could yes. he could wreak havoc against England. Yeah, definitely. Bundyaki, or oh, I mean, Henshaw and Farrell. Mm. Um, Chris Farrell, who started there Farrell's this weekend. Farrell's a big old <laughs> physical Bruce. They're, Tough. they're both big, strong boys. Mm. Farrell is a very big, strong boy. And I, yeah. So, a few things now. I wonder if Ireland can replicate what happened to Ireland when England played them and England beat them. And I thought England didn't have a chance pre-World Cup. And they just ran physical runners down, uh, down the middle. They've got Henshaw and... Uh, who, by the way, is big, but he's not physical in the same way as, say, a Tua Langer is. Farrell is that kind of physicality, though. Farrell can really f- smash holes. F- Farrell's Farrell's one hundred and ten kg. That's a big boy. That is a big boy. He's real. He's real quick with it, isn't he? Yeah. So big. Yeah, big. Big fan of that. The other thing as well is, can they move the English forwards about? <laughs> so that's what I, I really. That's what I really loved about the Gibson Park performance is he makes everyone at the base of Rook stand still because you can't leave your your positions because if you take your eye off him he's going to go through a gap. Mm. So they do have some 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 real weapons. Mm. That said, I just think England are going to absolutely sledgehammer them. I don't think England will sledgehammer them, but I think they will win by more than a score, ten points, like uh, yeah, twenty-seven, seventeen, eight, something like that, eight points. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Phil, you can't see me, but I've been sat here and I like to fidget. I've got a biro and I've doodled all over my legs. He has drawn all over his legs. Well, I, I just, I was just looking at my knee. Then it reminds me of. Um, do you remember the bath flanker, Skaysbrook? James Skaysbrook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> with a little star. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go England by eight. Yeah, I think I think England will win, but it's going to be a really, really close game, and it'll it'll come down to a little bit of discipline and who gets who 
um, keeps their composure and gives the opposition fewer opportunities to take points. And I think and kicks will be the difference yeah, in this yeah. game. And no disrespect to Georgia either. In fact, all Wales actually. But I'll stick with Georgia on this point. England didn't really get to stretch their legs. I don't think we saw the best. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure Jack Willis even made made, made a turnover. Um, Atoji was not, um, you know, having one of his great. I mean, he's very very good. One of his greatest games against Ireland. When once the intensity goes up and the competition goes up, I think you see a, another several uh, gears to this England team, and that's when they're going to get very very dangerous. So that that, I, that yeah. I think is a really good point on England's game against Georgia, which we didn't talk about very much, but. England hardly had to practice their defence because Georgia, they worked unbelievably hard in defence. They forced a turnover and then almost every time they immediately turned it over again. So it, it, Georgia never spent any considerable amount of time attacking yeah. um, the England team. So England, you, there, there are things like Jack Willis's turnovers that you simply did not see. Yeah. And that will get that will be severely tested by Ireland because one thing that Ireland did very well against Wales was their um composure. When they got into the red zone, they were composed and they were happy retaining the ball for phase after phase after phase after phase and forcing the opportunity to take some points. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this now. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this because I don't think England will give them that give them the armchair ride that Wales did. No. Um the other game, five fifteen. And this is from uh, what's it called? Group one, pool one, um, group A. Uh-huh. Um, is Wales versus Georgia? Okay, so I assume Wales will win. That's yes. about as much as I'm willing to say about this game. Uh, yeah, it's, like... a, it's a it's a good game for Wales to to pivot to actually get a performance and get a win for the first time since Italy at the, the start of the Six Nations this yeah. year. Yeah, um, and it'll be yeah. You're right, actually. So that will be the interesting thing. How do Wales get this win? Because let's assume that they do win. Do they win doing what the players want, or do they do, or do they get the win doing what Wayne Pivak wants? I think how how they get this win is going to be really important. Like if you see a very Pivaky type performance, like you would see in the Scarlets. Obviously, think okay. Well, maybe they're getting getting the hang of this. If they win, basically off their own back, you know, do and players go a bit rogue or whatnot, or they you know they just go out there and play the game that they want to play. I think it could actually further further sow division. Yeah, and on on Georgia, I think they'll they'll spy an opportunity. They'll they'll think right, we've got a chance here, guys, um, because like you say, watching Wales, I think Wales will win comfortably. But there's a lot of people, I think. On the Georgia subject and Georgia v Italy, sometimes when when Italy get hammered by someone, they go, "Oh, they shouldn't be in the Six Nations. Give someone else a chance." When Georgia get pumped, they go, "See, you shouldn't put them in the Six Nations." I just, I think there's a lot of people that think as I do, which isn't you should put Georgia in the Six Nations or Italy should be out or any variation of the two. It's I want to see a pathway where someone can aspire to, whether it's by a playoff game or whatever that you can have the aspiration and the possibility and the opportunity which will feed the development uh, of a nation. I just I just think people might look at some of the outcomes of these games and had Italy won against Scotland, people would have just said, right, that's it, leave it as it is. If Georgia sneak a win against Wales, which I don't see happening, but if they did, then equally people will start saying, get Italy out, get Georgia in. It, it's all bollocks. I just, I just wish there was some joined up thinking in the pathway. I will say this, and I, you know, it comes with its own problems. 
but I think the autumn nations go I mean I'm I'm a purist six nations stays the six nations as far as I'm, I'm concerned best annual tournament of almost any sport played anywhere that said the Autumn Nations Cup does give you some really interesting alternatives, doesn't it? Because they've got six, um, they've got six teams playing less games in the, in this format, and that last weekend is really interesting because then you've got first three, second, third, three, four, yeah, or the two first places, two second places, two mm. third. Places. I mean, if we thought Super Saturday was good fun, imagine what this what this will be be, be be like. So. I, I it, guess it's not going to feel the same. Like lose coming second in an Autumn Nations Cup versus coming first. You're not going to. Oh well, oh well. Um, Whereas Six Nations, yeah, yeah. I'm not really. Which thinking... is why I don't want the Autumn Nations Cup to to be an uh, an annual fixture, an annual fixture in the calendar. No, but with the same teams every year because it will just dilute the, the what's special about the Six you're Nations. You're 100 percent right about that. But what I do like about it is I love the idea of that last day when you start with. At your least drunk with the least good game, yeah, and then it slowly <laughs> progresses. Or maybe there's a better way to do it. Maybe you start off with the the three four game, right? <laughs> so you're excited, and then when you're sort of merry, you've got the other game, and then you have the crescendo, you know, right about peak drinking. Um, and you know, there's, there's only three fixtures here. I think I could fit in an extra fixture. So we go um, one o'clock. What would it be? 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock? Uh, well, it's, there are there are four fixtures, aren't there? Is it two on Sunday? Uh, oh, there's one on Sunday. Yeah. Ah, so, so, yeah. Is there one on Friday night, then? What's, what's the other game? No, so there's, uh, according to what I'm looking at, you've got... Um, sorry, the, the finals day, I'm oh, talking about. Oh, I see. About. On the 5th of December, you've got... Um, First game at twelve, then at two fifteen, then at four forty-five, and then the England's game is on the Sunday. Now you will also have the um, the morning fixture of the Tri Nations. Yes, the fifth, oh. which might be the culmination of the Tri Nations. Um, hold on, and we're out of lockdown then, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> Running are we, wild. Like, are we? I mean, are we tier three. Does that mean pubs aren't open, or does that mean you have, you have to be? It means you go to East Cheshire, mate. I mean, yeah, it yeah. doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it means you observe the lockdown strictly. Oh, my goodness. You don't go to Oldley Edge for any reason, not can, even to watch a rugby. Can I come and do some refurbishments at Bidsbury Tock H in the clubhouse, do some painting and Could work, I... can work there and just the TV will happen to be on and exactly. well, I mean, get sure some we can... refreshments. Sure, we can sort <laughs> something out. Uh, yeah, you're right. It might be the combination. But also, uh, sorry, just to add to my fantasy. Um... <laughs> I love watching France kick off in the autumn at well the later the later games. Oh, the latest games. Yeah. So like I, am I right? Or nine pm. Oh, the nine pm game is glorious. I mean, it really is. You've just had a hard game game of rugby. You've watched many many internationals. You think, oh, that's it now. I just have a few more pints and go home. And then France kick off. It is. It's wonderful. It really is a yeah, wonderful winter. Love that wonderful winter feeling. So yeah, that's how uh, the. Yeah, so I think the Autumn Nations Cup thing, there are some lessons here. Because with that format, you can effectively add two more teams. The downside to that format is, of course, you're just removing the problem of not having a pathway from Georgia and giving it to Romania or giving it to Russia. And where does it end? Mm. So, Tim, just on on the point, um, it was mentioned this weekend, but that was the first time that England have ever played Georgia outside of a World Cup. 
Is um, it really? And that, and I, I don't want the Autumn Nations Cup to be a thing, but just more regular games. Uh, not even, I'm not saying once a year, but the, the first time ever outside of a World Cup does seem a bit rid- ridiculous for England to be playing Georgia. Yeah, absolutely right. That is, is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And uh, and just on on the kind of funding and development, think of it as an investment in the future of the game which will bear fruit and yes and and cascade money down for everyone and on that to that end keep an eye out for a documentary that i think it might be on amazon actually on tuesday it goes live that dan leo has been heavily involved in about mm-hmm. the pacific nations i can't remember what the name of it's called there's been a bunch of contributors that actually feature on it um in- including people like james haskell because he was in part of that game where samoa nearly nearly stood down in, uh, and boycotted the game because they weren't getting any, any cash whatsoever. And at the time, there was talk of the England players giving them half their match fee, but that never happened. But if you remember that, and I think Ben Ryan's got some things to say, and apparently what I'm hearing about it is it's pretty punchy. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, ex- excellent. So that's on Tuesday. Uh, how, how do you find it? I think it's Am- I think it's on Amazon. Is it? I'm, yeah. just, I'm just looking. So it's Oceans Apart. That's the one. Is- is the name of not, it. Not Ocean's 15. Oh, what an opportunity <laughs> there. Damn it. Uh, right, have we got, uh, got any more matches? Um, uh, so the other games yeah. in um, Group B yeah. are, we have got Italy versus Fiji, which I, I really hope um, goes ahead. Yeah. Um, I, I hope goes ahead with, with close to full strength teams. Um uh, that sh- that should be a really good game. That's a nice curtain raiser, mm. real nice yeah. curtain raiser. Yeah, I, I think that would be a really good game because Italy they showed um, some really. Nice, I mean, the Manozzi try was brilliant. That was a great. They showed try. some lovely touches, some powerful running, some good offloading, some intelligent kicking. Um, and Fiji, we know what they bring. Yeah, and actually, I, I mentioned this game last week. I'll mention it again. I just hope it's a replay of the five yellow card game. Yes. <laughs> That's what I hope more than anything. Agreed. <laughs> and, then Fran- um, and then France playing, which means France win. Scot- yeah, Scotland hosts France. Scotland, the only team to beat France in the Six Nations um, last year, this this year, 2020. So that that's um, a bit of spice to it as well. Yeah. Uh, I do you know what? I, have to, I do have one last, one last thing to say. And uh, you might not want to add to this, or you might do... This uh, Sir John Kerwin controversy isn't going away anytime soon, is it? Of oh, the John Kerwin thing, I so, so here's what I saw from that. So John Kerwin, after the New Zealand Australia game last week, says he doesn't think red cards should be given, and then loads of people went off at him, and I think strawmanned what he was saying I agree. and mischaracterized what he was saying as if he was saying. Red cards, uh, no um, high tackles should be allowed to go and and play on, and it's ridiculous. We shouldn't have them. Whereas what I think he meant was keep it fifteen b v fifteen. Look at maybe harsher sanctions that are imposed for subsequent games or fines, or replace the player but have him 
replaced with another player, so it's 15 v 15. He wasn't saying high shots are okay, which is how so many people yeah. characterised what he said. It's reckless. It's, uh, you know, it's unsafe. It's all these it, things. It's like, like, the, not... pe- it's like the people that go, uh, I, I, I want to be able to have the choice to work or to send my kids to school through this coronavirus thing, etc. You want grannies to die. Yeah, no. It's kind of like that with John Kerwin. You want people to get to... to uh, have head injuries that mean they can never play rugby again. No. He's saying keep it 15 v 15. Yeah. I want to re-emphasize this. Um, there is a difference between the spectacle and the sport. The NFL do not, when a player is, as they call it, ejected, reduce the team to 10 men. They stay at 11, 11 versus 11 because they think the sport is integral. You know, And um, in rugby, we just take off a player uh, because I don't know, because we've always done it, and, and therefore, fo- fo- uh, and therefore, football does. I think the spectacle of a fourteen-man team can be equal to a fifteen-on-fifteen, but there is a difference between the spectacle and the sport, and you can't say the sport is enhanced because we have red cards. I, I think that is a perfectly. I mean, I might be wrong, but it's still a perfectly reasonable position to hold. I agree. It's a re- so John Kerwin's position was a reasonable one to yeah. hold. It's an okay conversation to have, even if people go, all right, we've had a conversation, heard a different perspective, and I still would prefer to keep things as they are, instead of acting like like he's just said something truly outrageous, which he hasn't. And I, actually, in some respects, I totally agree with him. I would actually, I think, well, what I said last week, uh, I would still maintain that. I still think if you if you gouged or you spat or you stamped or you did something really horrible uh, there's, uh, then no actually no I think I agree with John Kerwin that I want I would like 15 v 15 yeah I think so and, and red cards let the sighting panel after the game give them and maybe you hand down longer bans maybe you hand down bigger fines so that, I think I, I, I actually think I agree with him and not to be contrary actually because I think it's a it's it's a conversation that we should be able to have yeah and I, and I touched on this last week you can go back and, back and listen the idea that you have a player on the field who is going to go out there and injure someone on purpose because they know they're going to get substituted is frankly idiotic. It's not just silly, it's idiotic. Um, Who's going to be the person that volunteers to be the full guy for that? So you and I, Tim, are playing... I'll do it, I'll miss the next year of rugby. Yeah, I'll... Hang on, so all I need to do is I need to take a 20 grand fine, so I'll be playing this game for free, and then I missed the rest of the Six Nations, so let me just add that up. Uh, five, four more 125 games. 125 grand. Oh, perfect, yeah. 125 sure. grand and maybe won't, and, and give someone else the opportunity to wear my jersey and take my place on the longer term. What what kind of nonsense is this? Um, if you asked me to do that, Tim, I would probably ask you to say, uh, well, I, probably, I would ask you, why don't you do it, mate? <laughs> uh, I'm not doing that. It's absolutely, maybe a player does it off, you know, their, you know, off their own back. And believe you me, their their behaviour will change rapidly when they're 120 grand down. Rapidly. And by the way, if it me if it's worth 125 grand to you, I don't think a red card's stopping you either. So, so I'm 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 quite um, happy with the red card situation as it is. Although I do appreciate um, hearing your comments and and getting the perspective and being able to have a uh, yeah uh, a. a, a a sensible conversation about it. Which, let's um, be honest, I've, I've got no problem with with red cards yeah. at all because I think they're they're a very good way of changing behaviours. And also, it's I, I've said this many times before. I don't believe they ruin games. Um, I think if 
if your team is well set up, well organized, and intelligently coached, um, you can yeah. win um, very significant games uh, that would otherwise have been an arm wrestle with fourteen men. And there's a number of examples to to prove that. So, um, so I have a question for you, right? Just a slight, slightly off tangent. At yeah. what point does playing with reduced numbers become dangerous? So, so I, you have, yeah, you you've had this argument in the past, haven't you? Yeah. So we have, say, and it's happened before, we have a red card and then we have two yellows that overlap. I don't think it is substantially dangerous, but no. if you are going to say, it's all about player welfare and changing behaviours and this and the other, 13 men running at you know, 15 men who aren't working as hard and can hit harder surely must at some point get dangerous. If you have two red cards, it's going to have to... I mean, you've got to do more carrying for a start. If well, two of your pack go down, who you carries have, the ball? Yeah, you have to do more carrying, but then... But then if you go down that if you go down that rabbit hole, then then you start going, Well, hold on, you're working too hard. Fifteen aside fifteen aside, you're doing too many carries, Binny Vodapola, you need to stop. Well because otherwise it's dangerous. So I don't think that I don't think that washes. I, I think it does. I, because the argument is change of behaviours, player welfare, yada yada yada. If I've got to carry twice as much ball well not twice as much, but you know, um <laughs> you're more going down ball. to, to- Seven men. Well, that's okay, maybe. But maybe the guy gets red carded is your primary ball carrier. Maybe so, maybe it's like an increase of 10%, and that's a big increase. What Increase of 10% on carrying? Yeah. Most, most players carry about 10 times a game. So you're talking about one, one additional carry per game. Or you know, whatever the number is, there is, def- <laughs> there is definitely more risk. You, you can't convince me that 12 versus 15 or 13 versus 15 yeah. is less risk. You can't convince yeah, me. Tim, Tim I, I think your point is exactly right. That to, to, to have that argument, you'd need to understand what the normal parameters in a game for carries are. And I'd say normal figures for carries and tackles for, for a player, slightly different for forwards, slightly different for backs, but somewhere between 10 and 15 carries. Okay, let me, if let, you're going to start making uh, that um, argument, let me you're going to have to way. start putting parameters yeah. on the number of carries for, and tackles for on players, tackles. which just sounds let totally me, ludicrous. Let me phrase it another way. Okay, There have been examples of games where players have put in superhuman efforts. Uh, Jacques Berger against Claremont. Thank you, that's exactly what it is. 37 tackles, Ducetois against New Zealand. Those are two, right. You can definitely do that, and it is completely your choice to do so, and you are a hero. Uh, not the overused version of hero, an actual hero. You are a hero for doing so. But it's not safe. <laughs> you know, it, you but, can't but, but that's, it's but, safe. But that is... But rugby isn't. No, it's but, not. I, I, by the way, I'm not saying we should ban yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's a perfectly acceptable risk to me, because I'm not making the, I'm not making the argument that red cards improve safety. No, and also, uh, a red card, just as with a yellow card, wouldn't mean that it remains 15 v 15 you would still serve your sin bin period and then be replaced by a player is that i think that is the most logical way to go because yeah. i think yellow cards are fine so yellow card you're you sit your 10 minutes out and you may return to the field red card you would sit your t- the team would have a 10 minute sit out period then they can be replaced and, yeah. and and the but maybe the punishments get more severe post game yes exactly i i'm okay, you know I think there's, I, yeah, I think there is a, an argument to be made for a better spectacle, but don't kid yourself. Don't don't think that uh, fourteen on fifteen is better for the sport. It's better for the spectacle, mm. potentially. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I think John Kerwin was massively mischaracterised. But as with so many things, I think that's because we're. Do you think we're actually we just had a conversation that is based on 
the reaction of people on Twitter. Yeah. So. Uh, what what amazed me, do you think he got this reaction because he is a middle-aged straight man who wears a hoodie with a jacket? That's more egregious. Yeah, that is absolutely <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> that, I mean, to go on television wearing a hoodie under a blazer. What was he thinking? Uh, Who's he appealing to? I mean, it would have been less offensive if it was a a black blazer under a a black hoodie under a black blazer. At least, and it wouldn't. But the white the white hoodie under a black blazer. He's a middle aged man. He's a grown up. It is that was dreadful. I mean, by the way, you can wear hoodies. You're wearing a hoodie right right now. I I wouldn't wear a hoodie on telly. I've got well, not with a jacket at least. I mean, you could you could probably maybe wear that. I think Craig Doyle's worn worn a worn hoodie, but that's different. That's very different. Uh, and the other one, the other one, Michael Liner, wears a very small outfit with trainers. I'm not a fan of this. You've got to be a, a very... This, you have to be... I mean, you have to be very cool to be able to pull it off. Yeah. You can't have the persona of a maths teacher, right? You need to, you need to have something more in your locker. And those two... I wonder if it's a, a Southern Hemisphere thing. Mm, the trainer thing's starting to happen more and more up here as well. It's definitely an Argentine thing. Yeah. Oh, it? yeah. It's definitely an Argentine thing. And again, that again, that's yeah, but, very but, different. Uh, and but Gus yes. Picho, Gus Picho, that there's wearing trainers that are more like your your plimsoll pump type shoes. But Gus Picho wore a full suit with running trainers. Did he really? Don't you remember the World Rugby photo? Running trainers. It was like proper. I thought it was like a pair of like a pair of Nike or Adidas. I thought they were like the fashion trainers. No. No, they weren't. Uh. They were they were like trainer trainers. The ones you'd go for a run in, really? Yeah, mm. so, yeah not, I'm just not. I'm not a fan of. Uh, some people. Think, what does it say about society now that all the players show up to games? I mean, if you look at Exeter, they've got brogues on and they they might have their Exeter tweed on, and yet the commentators, the the the, the middle aged men, are dressing like teenagers. <laughs> mm, yeah, with the John. Kerr, I mean, for that alone, John Kerwin should face, the, yeah. face the wrath of the public look I don't want to get you in trouble with your with, with, with your employer Tim I'd never do I'd never do that I do think that BT Sport some some of the blazers are not as sharp as they used to be I mean there are still some sharp blazer wearing but they're, they're, they're not quite on point like, like they used to be there's just a little bit of feedback there well my, my thought on that I, I, I noticed that maybe the, the looks had changed slightly and I, my, my interpretation of that was people are at home more there's not the crowd there's not the same spectacle so just make it feel a bit but more I d- relaxed I don't want to be reminded that no one's allowed out <laughs> I don't I don't need I don't need any more reminders that my life's terrible I want you to be dressed up <laughs> and act like you're in work but and it's, it's a spectacle but it's relative yeah it's relative to to everyone else like people are sat in their pajamas. Well, at three in the afternoon on a Saturday now. Yep. So actually, just as I was informed, chuck on a pair of jeans and a sweater. That'll be fine. Uh, that's all right. I thought you were going to advocate doing the doing BT Sport in pajamas. Come on, a, a day ne- ne- next Friday. Well, if I were to do, if I were to do BT Sport in pajamas, it would be those classic cotton ones with the collar and the and the pocket. Oh, and, nice. And button up, button up jobs. Would you have one of those like, little uh, noddy hats too? Yeah. And, uh, like Scrooge. Yeah, one of those little um, lanterns. Yeah. Very, very good. Yeah. All right. I think if, if we're talking about bedwear, I think we can end this podcast. Yes. A, a, a suitably irreverent uh, place to stop. Yeah. Um, what was that phrase? What, was, what did the Telegraph, how did the Telegraph describe it? Con- uh, convivial, No. Yeah, irrelevant and pointless talentless irrelevant and pointless refreshingly convivial <laughs> refreshingly yeah maybe <laughs> refreshingly convivial so there you go yeah. uh, there was a bit of that so uh, yeah hit subscribe in your feed wherever you get your podcast be it Apple Podcast Google Podcast Acast Spotify 
Uh, we're everywhere you get a podcast. Uh, just hit subscribe because we've got more coming in your feed. As you've been hearing, JB's been doing some brilliant interviews with Ian McGeekin and Rob Baxter. For more of those, he's done four years' worth of those interviews. You can go and uh, follow him on uh, Rugby Dungeon. Uh, and there will be uh, more interviews like that coming when we get some big names and the small ones uh, and, and w- on a more regular basis on Rugby Dungeon. We've got a, a domestic podcast coming this week. Don't forget to get involved in Fantasy Rugby Draft. I'm at Cocker. He's at Jay Beardmore. Phil's lurking. We're at Rugby Podcast. Have I missed anything? I think so. No. Right. Okay. In which case, nice one for listening. Let the boys play. Let the boys play. Good stuff. Sweet. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.